Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, and thank you for joining me this Wednesday, December 14th. Uh, have you seen the weather report? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, obviously, a lot, a lot of places in the country are having the kind of over-the-top severe weather that we have seen now that climate change is here. Uh, tornadoes in Louisiana so far today. Two people are dead. Um, a lot of really horrific weather in the middle parts of the country. And the word for us, those of us who live in the vicinity of uh, Chicago, though actually the map I'm looking at uh, says pretty much Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, even Iowa, Indiana, we are expected to get hit with some kind of super cold wave next week. A lot of the weather sources that I've been reading this morning say that from now until Tuesday, um, you know, we're going to have sort of normal weather. And normal weather for this time of year is upper 20s, lower 30s. But a lot of the sources are saying that if you have outdoor activities planned, Probably the way things look right now, Tuesday the 20th will be the last day (laughs) that you can reasonably comfortably be outside. Because on the 21st, when oddly enough is the first official day of winter, we're going to get hit with this uh, another one of those like polar vortex, super cold winds. And um, starting probably around Wednesday through through the holiday, temperatures are going to be much colder than normal. And when the Weather Service puts out a post and the word much in that sentence is all caps like they're shouting it, we will see temps much colder then the normal highs and lows. Tuesday will be the last day to do outdoor chores. Well, chores or having fun. Who knows? So if it's going to be much colder, those of us who've lived around here for a long time, I mean, you know, we've experienced 25 below, and I am not talking about 25 below zero with the wind chill. I'm talking about 25 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Um, I haven't yet seen anybody try to give a specific number of, <laughs> of how low it will go, but I've seen this map where um, the darker blue, the color, the colder it's supposed to be. And um, for next week, we are in the, the Chicago, Indiana, Wisconsin region. We are as dark as it gets, it will actually, according to this map, be warmer on Michigan's upper peninsula than it will be in the southern part of the state. Ah, don't you love this time of year? I mean, come on, really? So that's your little weather update. <clears throat> Lady B brings you the traffic. I'll bring you the Long-range weather forecast. So how about a little politics? Um, I still 
would like to spend a little bit of time on something really big that happened yesterday. Joe Biden signing the Protection of Marriage Act. This is huge. I mean, we it happened later in the day, so we didn't get to spend a lot of time on it. But this is huge. You know, Joe Biden, before the midterm elections, was saying that if we could give him a couple more senators that and, and if we could hang on to the House, that he would make sure that Roe v. Wade got this treatment, that it was really enacted as a law so it would no longer be dependent on a Supreme Court decision. Obviously, that didn't happen. But with bipartisan bipartisan support, we did pass the Protection of Marriage Act. This protects same-sex married couples, and it isn't just same-sex. It also protects interracial marriage. Because if the Supreme Court has its Christian fascist way with the country, they are going to take away, they are going to try to take away all of the progress we have made as a society. So it is time to get some of this stuff written into law. Cindy Lauper, the signing of this bill was a huge deal. President Biden, Kamala Harris were there. Um, they they did it outside because there were just there was a huge crowd. Hundreds of people showed up for this. It was it was just it was just something wonderful uh, to behold. One of the people who spoke was the singer. Cindy Lauper, um, who has, you know, been at the forefront of, of efforts for equity and equality. Um, this is what she had to say. Our families, mine and a lot of my friends and people, you know, sometimes your neighbors, we can rest easy tonight because our families are validated And because now we're allowed to love who we love, which sounds odd to say, but Americans can now love who we love. And bless Joe Biden and all the people that worked on this for allowing people not to worry and their children not to worry about their future. Thank you. President Biden talked about what the Protection of Marriage Act means. Um, Here's a little bit about what he had to say about that. Marriage, I mean this involved my heart, marriage is a simple proposition. Who do you love? And will you be loyal to that person you love? It's not more complicated than that. The law recognizes that everyone should have the right to answer those questions for themselves without the government interference. It also secures the federal rights, protections that come with marriage. Like when your loved one gets sick and you've legally recognized as a next of kin, for most of our nation's history, we denied interracial couples and same-sex couples from these protections. 
We failed. We failed to treat them with equal dignity and respect. And now the law requires that interracial marriage and same-sex marriage must be recognized as legal in every state in the nation. Yes, indeedy. And that is a huge deal. And at some point in the future, that's what we've got to do with Roe v. Wade. By the way, I haven't seen this get a huge amount of attention. But, you know, there was all the brouhaha about Kirsten Cinema saying that she's an independent now, not a Democrat anymore. But she's going to caucus with the Democrats and hopefully she's going to vote with the Democrats in the Senate. And because of that, Chuck Schumer said that he would allow her to stay on the committees that she is currently a part of. But in um, in one of the articles I read about that, there was just this little throwaway line where um, somebody had asked Joe Manchin what his plans were. And he said that he couldn't promise that he wouldn't change parties, but he wasn't going to do that right now. You know, people have always said that Manchin acts more like a Republican than a Democrat. And certainly he has bent the Democrats in the Senate to his will. So the question is, will he give up that power? I mean, if he changes party lines, if he becomes a Republican, we are still, Democrats are still in power. As long as Kirsten Cinema caucuses with the Democrats as an independent and votes with them at least most of the time, the Democrats are still the majority party. Remember, Bernie Sanders isn't doesn't register as a Democrat. He's an independent. But he caucuses with the Dems and votes with the Dems. Angus King, the senator from Maine, is an independent. He doesn't list himself as a Democrat, but he caucuses with the Democrats and he votes with the Democrats. So as long as we still have at least that much support from Kirsten Cinema, even if Manchin went over to the dark side, we would still be able to control the Senate, which is why, you know, I don't know, maybe he was had his feelings hurt because Kirsten Cinema was getting all this attention and he wasn't, which is but that's why I don't think that he will change his affiliation. At least not right now, because who gives up being part of the party in power to become the party not in power? What sense does that make? And I don't see Manchin wanting to give up the leverage he's got right now. He has incredible power in the Democratic Party, in the Senate. And he would not be that powerful if he became a Republican. I don't care what Mitch McConnell says to try to woo people to the Republican Party. Mitch McConnell rules Senate Republicans with an iron hand. It's my way or the highway. And I don't think Joe Manchin really wants to submit to that. I would be shocked, shocked if he if he did that. Now, two years from now. If things go awry in 2024, I, I could see him potentially switching parties then, again, for the same reason, to be part of the party in power. 
Power is what it's all about. Power is what gives you those big boats and that driving that Maserati. Power is what lets you protect coal. Anyway, um, Joe Biden said some other things when he was on the White House lawn that didn't have to do with the Protection of Marriage Act, but are equally important. I'm going to take a break and share that with you when we come right back after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. As I said, President Biden yesterday signed the Protection of Marriage Act. It is a huge, huge to get that on the books, protecting um, the right of everyone to love who they want to love and have that love recognized publicly and legally. President Biden also talked about the uh, conservative war on trans kids and he talked a little bit about uh, Brittany Griner coming home as well. Let me share that part with you. Challenge the hundreds of callous, and cynical laws introduced in the states targeting transgender children, terrifying families, and criminalizing doctors who give children the care they need. We have to protect these children so they know they are loved and that we will stand up for them and say they can seek for themselves. Racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. But the antidote to hate is love. This law and the love it defends strike a blow against hate in all its forms. And that's why this law matters to every single American, no matter who you are or who you love. This shouldn't be about conservative or liberal, red or blue. No, this is about realizing the promise of the Declaration of Independence, a promise rooted in a sacred and secular beliefs, a promise that we're all created equal. We're all entitled to what Abraham Lincoln called an open field and a fair chance. You know, there's nothing more decent, more dignified, more American that we're about what we're doing here today. It's about who we are as a nation. It's about the substance of our laws. It's about being true to the best of the soul of America. Decency, dignity, love. Let me close with something else that happened on the same day that Congress sent me this bill. Brittany Griner was finally on her way home. I got to know her incredible wife as we worked to bring Brittany home from her unjust imprisonment in Russia. We were together in the Oval Office, her wife and I. We heard Brittany's voice on the phone when she was freed. And we addressed the nation together. When we did that, Brittany's wife said, quote, Today, my family is whole. Today, my family is whole. And for same-sex 
couples across the country, their families will continue to be whole. And for interracial couples, their families will continue to be whole. Man, oh man, President Biden may be (laughs) one of the oldest presidents we've ever had, but man, oh man, I do believe he will go down in the history books like an FDR who accomplished so much to make life better for so many people. You know, Dark Brandon is unstoppable. Uh, other news, we're going to be talking about this news a little bit more. At 3.30, David Hochberg is going to be joining me. Uh, you probably heard that the Fed raised interest rates today a uh, half a percentage point. They have been raising it, you know, 0.75. Today it was 0.5. Um, and... Uh, Jerome Powell, who's the chair of the Federal Reserve, made a statement saying, you know, hey, you know, what we're doing, it's working. Uh, it's working, but uh, we have to sort of, it's sort of essentially what he said is we have to keep the pressure up. Yes, inflation is slowing, but it's still higher than we would like it to be. And we know that some things that affect it, like Russia's war against Ukraine, ain't going away anytime soon, so we need to do what we need to do. This is the seventh, seventh, that's seven, uh, rate hike just in the last year. And unfortunately, even though he kind of said, yay, what we're doing is working, but it's really not working fast enough, so we're going to keep doing it, implies that this was not the last rate hike. We've already seen a huge slowdown. I mean, this time of year, let's face it, there's always a slowdown in the housing market around December, January. It's, you know, people have other things on their mind other than buying a house or refinancing a house. But, um, I can't believe that a rate hike today and basically the promise of more rate hikes going forward is um, is going to be good news for the housing market. But we will get uh, David Hochberg to weigh in on that. You know, he's a man who really doesn't have too many opinions and he's never very passionate about what he talks about. But we'll try to draw him out. What do you say? We'll do our best to draw him out and uh, get him to take a stand. Um, One of the things that people do, I've never really done this, but I think I'm going to start toward the end of the year. You know, you'll see all these, let's reflect back. What were the highlights? What were the lowlights of the year before? I want to do that from a news and politics standpoint. I asked Edwin Eisendrath to join me today at 2.30. You know, he's someone who also pays very close attention to local, state, and national politics. And I want to talk with him about the highlights and lowlights of this last year, and also um, maybe what he sees 
for 2023 or if he sees more of the same or things changing in one way or another. Um, if you know, if you would like to text in a question or comment, something that you think was particularly significant, uh, 773-763-9278. You can, you can call and talk to us or you just shoot me, use that same number and you can text with it. And tell me what you think was something that was really significant about 2022 and or what you see ahead of us for 2023. And uh, after that, we're going to talk to Mark Jacob and see uh, what he has to say about all of well, the craziness that's going on with social media and other things. And uh, then, like I said, the lovely and talented David Hochberg is going to be here to talk about the Fed rate hike. So um, shoot me a text if you want to get into our next conversation that we'll have between 2.30 and 3 about the highlights and lowlights of 2022. And one thing that we see may be on the horizon for 2023. We'll be back with more after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. Your long drive home just got even easier. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now weeknights from 5 to 7 p.m. on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT. I am very pleased to welcome my friend and Saturday WCPT host Edwin Eisendrath to the airwaves. Every Saturday from 1 to 4, he hosts a radio show called The Big Picture. Hello, Edwin. How are you today? Hi, Joan. I am good today. Well, yeah. You know, that. You know, I understand you're, um, you're saying I am good today because I don't know about you, but for me, it's like day by day. <laughs> You know, I can't really say about tomorrow. All I can tell you is that today seems to be going all right. I, you know what, Joan? I don't feel that way. I, really? I, I I feel like, and I've said this you know, before, I know people think I'm crazy, but you could live your whole life and not live in an important time, not live in a time where the things you do really matters. And we do. We live, I mean, there's that song in... Hamilton, how lucky to be alive right now, because the, the moment they lived in was determining the future. And we are in that moment. And the things that we do really matter. And I love that. But, you know, Edwin, you could say that people lived in an important time who lived through World War Two doesn't necessarily did. means that I would have wanted to be in that crowd. Well, I, yeah, but look what they did. I mean, I, I, there's a reason why it's been almost 100 years, and we honor what they did. Okay. Well, you know what? You be Mr. Glass Half Full today, and I will let, I will let you get away with it. Um, I wanted to talk with you. I've never done this before on this show, but I, I, I really like the idea of when um, organizations or journalists or whatever kind of – Take some time to take stock of what has happened and, and maybe 
maybe look forward to what might happen in in the next year. So aside from setting the midterm election aside, what do you see as high points and low points for 2022? Well, at the end of 2021, I wrote a piece where, you know, I was worried about the democracy being in danger, but I was optimistic because I think in that piece, I said the very reason Republicans are attempting to overturn elections and undermine the democracy was the Republican base had been taught to fear what America is coming to be, the world's first and really only multiracial democracy. And I think on that score, despite all of the all of the fraught noise uh, on the other side, which continues, we are making progress on that score. So I think in a very big way, 2022 was a moment where we faced not subtle, but absolutely outright, you know, racist hate, bigotry, like we haven't seen in this country in a long time, where we are very prominent public officials just said, you know what, I hate Jews, I hate blacks, I hate anybody who's different from me, and let's organize around that, and they're lost. I think America rejected that, and I'm thrilled. Um, America had a lot of other things that were pretty good. I mean, Democrats showed that they could do real legislating. And at the beginning of 2022, and you remember the end of 2021, when there had been all that hand-wringing over Build Back Better, I think most of Americans thought Congress can't do anything. Right. And, it, and yet they did amazing things, right? They gave us the infrastructure bill, which is, as we speak now, in the ground, rebuilding almost everything. The CHIPS Act, which has led to enormous growth of American manufacturing already, and it's going to accelerate. The Inflation Reduction Act, which is misnamed, although inflation has come down, um, it's misnamed. It should really be named like, oh, my God, we're finally doing something about the Environment Act. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, on the legislative side, it was a remarkable year. And Democrats even showed they could get Republican support for some of those bills, something Republicans had no interest in when they were in charge. And you know, I said at the beginning at the beginning of this program, um, when I was talking about him signing the Protection for Marriage Act, I think Joe Biden is going to go down in history as one of the most effective presidents, one of the presidents who made life better for the people of this country. I think he's going to go down in history as one of the greats. I think, um, but it can't, it can't happen alone because I, it's really important to give Nancy Pelosi her yes. share of the praise in this. You know, watch what the Republicans do with a majority that's no bigger than the Democrats had. She managed to ignore, and they say Democrats, you know, are a big, crazy party where you're the left. And yet, we span the horizon from Joe Manchin to AOC. She managed, with all of those different points of view, to corral them and get this stuff done. I mean, so I give Joe a lot of credit, but there's a, but you know, the entire Democratic leadership um, really got stuff done in Washington. And you know where else they got stuff done? In states where they were in charge. I mean, they paid, Governor Evers in Wisconsin took that pothole state and paved enough roads to drive from Madison to Miami and back. And, you know, he did that before the infrastructure bill, but he did it with a balanced budget in, in Wisconsin. And same thing with Gretchen Whitmer, who, you know, her leadership in Michigan has attracted billions in private investment in the state. 
right? So Democrats just in the, in the hard work of governing, it, you know, at the state level, in the federal level, um, they really did the work and got things done. And they were matched in that, Joan, by political work. And here, I once again, I want to focus on Wisconsin and Michigan, where Democrats figured out again how to organize and how to campaign and how to do political work. And they figured it out in a way that is old as folk mill. You know, they build community. They didn't just say, hey, politics is a transaction. You do this for me and I'll get you your vote. I'm, I'm going to drop off a turkey. Mm-hmm. Go vote. You know, none of that. They created a thousand ways for people who care about their communities could get involved and make a difference and sustainable, you know, year-round uh, community building that, that is building the infrastructure of the Democratic Party of the future. That also was an amazing accomplishment in 2022. So, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't all good. We had the entire collapse of the legitimacy of the United States Supreme Court. And, they, you know, they've been gotten for it for a while, but, it, uh, um, uh, you know, I mean, they've been doing it since Citizens United. But when they got to that appalling decision in Bob's, they showed the country that they are really only about um, a partisan outcome. They're a partisan court. They're exactly what we were warned about in the Federalist Papers was a clear danger to the democracy. And unfortunately, that um, disaster is going to persist into the next year. Yes, I agree with that. And as far as what's coming up in 2023, um, what you touched on, I think Nancy Pelosi has been so brilliant and so strategic, and she has been such an amazing speaker. I think that because they have only a slim majority and because now the moderates finally seem to be standing up to the Marjorie Taylor Greens, I think that the House of Representatives is going to be pretty chaotic under Kevin McCarthy. What do you think? Uh, if it's Kevin McCarthy. You, but who else? I mean, come on. It's not going to be Andy Biggs. He's too far to the right. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, and, you know, there, there are there have been congresses where, you know, you haven't been able to pick a speaker for months. I, I mean, didn't realize that. I, I yeah. didn't realize that. I thought that it would it would be decided in January no matter what. I, don't they keep well, taking I mean, votes until they finally they pick keep, somebody? Sure. I mean, you know, there have been ages, there have been eras where, you know, they, how, many, how many ballots before you get the white smoke out of the chimney, and, you know, in the Vatican? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and it, it, it is an opportunity for mischief, and you know what happens when there's an opportunity for mischief. Right? And have the you seen the... Clear, they don't have to pick a person who's in the chamber. Well, have you seen the buttons, the OK buttons that they're starting to wear? Um, I saw this on social media this morning um, because th- uh, there's apparently a never Kevin group in the House of Representatives. His supporters have um, started with uh, trying to counter that with the phrase only Kevin. So they're making these buttons that say, OK, and they're all wearing them. And somebody commented that, yeah, you know, you're right. He's not going to be great. He's only going to be OK. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, opportunity for mischief. They're going to screw it up, Joan. They're going to screw it up. And and then the country's going to see the difference between people who are serious about governing, 
who look across the country and don't just see a country with problems we have to solve. They do see that. But they also see a country with opportunities to lead if they want to take. You know, I mean, we have our share of problems, but America's got some great opportunities to lead all over the world. We haven't even talked about Biden's stunning foreign policy work. Well, you know what, Edwin, hold that thought. Let's take a break and we'll get back to it. I'm talking with Edwin Eisendrath. You hear him every Saturday, one to four on WCPT. He does a show called The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendrath. We're going to be back with more right after this. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I'm speaking with our Saturday WCPT host, Edwin Eisendrath. We're talking about um, all the things that have happened in 2022 and all the things that we are going to be looking forward to. Two in the next year, whether they are good or bad or sane or chaotic. And I interrupted Edwin as he was just about to share a thought with us. Edwin, I give you back the floor. We saw in the last year the invasion of Ukraine. Yes. Right. And uh, uh, an invasion in um, absolute violation of international rules-based order that the United States helped pioneer after the Second World War, an order that's led to enormous growth, um, an enormous uh, increase in wealth all over the planet, not evenly, and it needs some work. But but, um, uh, throwing that order over entirely and going back to the era where it's okay for a stronger country to eat the smaller neighbors is not the solution. Why did Russia invade Ukraine? Well, part of the reason is Donald Trump's lackeys like Mike Pompeo and Rudy Giuliani, who ran that crazy uh, uh, let's trade weapons to Ukraine for info on the Biden family nonsense. They, they, they let Russia believe that we wouldn't take this seriously. You know, they, 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 they encouraged this to happen and it happened. I mean, it's not, you know, they didn't tell them to do it, but they sure didn't leave them feeling like America and and uh, NATO would stand up to it. Because, right, they sowed chaos in NATO. They did all this terrible stuff. Biden put NATO back together. He has overseen an enormous um, effort to support the Ukrainians who've shown great valor um, and um and and push back against this aggression at the same time strengthening the rules based order and democracy um, around the world here and abroad. I, I think it's uh, an amazing uh, spectacle and one that, of course, Republicans you know are tiptoeing up to trying to undermine again. And all of this matters when you think about what's going on in Asia, you know, with uh, mm. uh, with. Uh, democracy being undermined by China there, and, um, and and really interesting ways to counter it. I mean, just this week, um, we're going to see uh, uh, President Biden lead the advocacy for um, the, you know the the organization of African states to to be a permanent member of the G20. Um, so it's really global effort to lift up. Um, the forces that are, are more democratic against the forces that are more autocratic. And they have a rules-based order where we don't just slaughter each other because some pot dictator wants what he thinks he can get from next door. 
Um, um, Tim Potter did. Um, Putin's more dangerous, dangerous man. So, so this is all stuff that Democratic leadership has brought. The kinds of things that Americans say we value, right? Um, leadership in the world, um, an, an effort to make all of our lives better. I mean, I, you know what? I'm like, you know what's going to happen in 2023 that I'm really excited about for me? What? Medicare. Medicare. <laughs> Medicare. <laughs> and, and you know what? Prescription drug prices are going to be because of this administration, right? Yeah. I mean, I I am thrilled by this, and all of and the and the Republicans they were running on oh well let's put Medicare on a chopping block. Are you kidding me? You know I don't understand that, Edwin. As long as I have been in the news business. That was always considered the one thing you don't touch. You don't touch well, Medicare. You don't touch Social Security. And and I think these, you know, these. I was kind of thinking that that might be the one thing that would bring Ron Johnson down, because I don't understand Republicans going around publicly saying, "Oh, you know, we sh- it should be cut. It should be privatized. We it should have to be renewed every five years. No, every three years. No, how about every year?" Uh, because we need that kind of chaos in our lives. I don't understand that. Because you know what? Our demographic, the 55-plus demographic, we vote in numbers that are just overwhelming. And you don't mess with us. Well, it's, it's not just a political question. It is a, a moral promise that America has made to its citizens that they will not be abandoned as they get older. And Social Security is... After all, money you've paid in through your whole working life, it's your money, right? Yeah. But it's not a handout. And others want them. They want, to, they, they want to get the fees for managing it. They want to take it, you know, and, and they, um, they do not believe in government. That's why they're so terrible at it. But, but Americans need the whole, every, and no matter where you are, you need, and even China doesn't believe in democratic government, but they do believe in in you know, public policy and, and how do you actually accomplish things. They make mistakes, but they think about that. I mean, you go to the Harris School of Public Policy in Chicago and you have students from all over the world, from Democratic and non-Democratic systems, who want to take the time to think through how government decisions affect the lives of people. You know who you don't see there? Republicans, because they do not care. It's all politics to them. All. I mean, ban books. Oh, my gosh, we had more than 200 books banned in 2022 from libraries and schools across America. Seriously, Joan? These people are dangerous. You know, Edwin, these days, other than ignorance about what they're really doing and really stand for, I'm, I do see the Republican Party as being basically the, rep- the party of, of, of hate and the party of let's take away your rights and let's you're right let's take those books out of the library what, you know i can't, what is it that draws people is it just those people who have a a white supremacist bent uh, the people who are racists that are are drawn to this i saw an interview several weeks ago where somebody was asking a youngish guy it's hard for me to tell it looked like he was in his late 20s and they were like, well, you know, in the next election, do you think you'll vote Democrat or Republican? And he said, probably Republican. And they said, why? And he goes, well, you know, Republicans are so good with the economy. And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, 
Do you pay attention? Do you read anything? Are you serious? Joan, that's why you and I do what we do. It's really okay that most Americans do not follow this as closely as we do. I mean, I want to go to a movie once in a while, and people have to take the time to make them. Right? I want to go to a restaurant. Somebody's got to take the time to learn how to cook, right? If everybody just followed the news all the time, it would be a whole lot more boring country. So we have a job to do. No one's going to know these issues as well as the people who follow them all the time. But those of us who do follow them, we have a sort of an obligation to, in a way that people can trust, spread the news. But I'm, I'm okay with a country where politics isn't the only thing we focus on because there's I mean, you know what? I, I, I want to go to a baseball game. I don't expect the guys on the field to know these issues. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, right. we're, we're banging the drum, and, and, and I, um, I wish there was a way to get to that young person. I don't know. Maybe we've got to start doing um, YouTube videos or starting our own Reddit. I don't know how you reach the younger generations. No, we did get to them. And younger people voted in great numbers this cycle. And they gave, you know what, and for the first time, they said to older folks like me, hey, you know what, the democracy is going to be okay in our hands. We are taking it seriously. We're concerned about the environment. We're concerned about how could you have had more rights than we have. That's not okay. And they showed up and they voted. And I, I'm very proud of young people for what they did. I do, too. Do you think it was Roe v. Wade that that lit a fire under them? Because it's really the first thing that's happened that makes their life more difficult. Uh, that and climate change. Yeah. I think climate change is terrifying the young people. OK, Joan, are you still there? Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. Um, I couldn't hear you for a while. Oh, I said, I think um, Roe v. The, the, the loss of Roe and the Dobbs decision, but also climate change is an absolute existential terror for many young people. Yes. Understandably, you know, the loss of species, um, um, you know, they don't understand why change is so slow and they want to be involved in pushing us further. Oh, oh and at the end of 2022, we had this. Our, our, our long-standing commitment at the federal level, using you know federal money, which Republicans don't always like, for science has led to the first um, ignition in a in a fission fusion reactor for the first time ever. And this is I'm not kidding, John. This is one of the biggest science stories of our lifetime, and we live through the invention of the Internet. The cold fusion? Not cold. Cold fusion is a fraud. This is definitely not cold fusion. Just fusion. It's fusion ignition, yeah. It's the start of a world where we will have fusion energy. Um, And it's a a big defense issue for America, too. It means we can uh, be sure to test and keep our nuclear arsenal um, safe without having to actually blow things up. But, so from a science perspective, there's that mission as well. But from a civilian um, uh, uh, perspective, we now see the real possibility that in the next you know, generation, we will have abundant 
clean energy forever. That is. That will be, that should change life on this planet. It will. It it will absolutely. Now, it, it won't come fast enough for some of the worst effects of climate change. That's why we have to do everything else. But in fact, it will change absolutely everything. Um, and and it's uh, enormously helpful that it is uh, democratic nations. And the United States had a lot of help in doing this that led this work because, you know, it can be used for all kinds of purposes. Um, but if we can able to commercialize it too, it's an enormous, uh, enormous driver of jobs and, Imagine what that will mean. Energy costs go to very little, and it's abundant, and it's clean. Oh, my gosh. Well, what makes me sad, Edwin, is that it? I'm not really going to probably live to see it <laughs> developed and, and made a part of, of our life. So I have mixed uh, emotions about it. Yay for the rest of the world. Yay for our kids, but sad for us. No, we're living in the time where we're planting that tree for somebody else. Okay, Mr. Glasshalfle. Okay, I, I just think we are we are at a moment where the things that you do, that the stories that you tell on the radio, the work that that, that thousands of activists are doing around the country to to lift America out of its angry spot and have us focus on who we can be and how we get there, is going to be pivotal to the whole world because when we are the stable, multiracial democracy that we are going to be and that we are heading to be, that is a right to everybody. That says to the whole planet, you know what, we can live here together and we can figure it out. Anyway, that's so I'm very happy with 2022, then win everything, and that Supreme Court, oh, bad. Um, we're going to continue this fight into 2023, you know, because um, we, we have not beaten the insurrection yet. It's still out there. I mean, I think we've past Gettysburg and we're going to win, but a lot of people died after Gettysburg before Appomattox. That's yeah. where we are. Real quick. Um, that was uh, more than you wanted, I know. No, it wasn't more than I wanted. It was just what I wanted. But I want to give you, uh, in this in this final minute we have left, a lot of people are saying, you know, what Kirsten Cinema did becoming an independent, um, and I believe this, she did that because she thinks that is the only path she really has to staying on in the Senate because the Democrats were almost certainly going to primary her. Um, but now people are saying, oh, if there's a Democrat and an independent incumbent and a Republican, it makes it more likely the Republican will win in Arizona. But the Democratic Party of Arizona is so angry with her that I can't imagine that they will uh, hesitate to field a candidate. Do you think a Democrat other than Kirsten Cinema can win the Senate seat in Arizona next time it comes up? I don't know enough to answer that. I will do some studying and answer it another time. I will say this. She is an independent. She hasn't been acting as a Democrat. So, she'll, so I'm, let, let's not have her pretend. I'm thrilled she's an independent, and I'm also thrilled that she's going to caucus with Democrats. You know, I mean, Angus King, Bernie Sanders, they're not Democrats mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. They caucus yeah. with Democrats, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with that. It lets us not fight so much. Um, and the fighting was bad for us when we were doing it, but we will have the votes that we need for organizing. And you know what? We just have to keep winning more Senate seats. I mean, in this terrible year, the Democrats went up one Senate seat. Pretty remarkable. Yes, it was. Oh, 2023 predictions. 
a former president will be indicted. Oh, well, hmm. Will I'm not, not sure I agree Carter. with you, but I, 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 I've got my fingers crossed. <laughs> Edwin, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate your being here to talk about this. Uh, take care of yourself and happy holidays. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. We're going to take a break for news and be back with more after this. This is WCPT 820. Listen in Chicago on 820 AM or stream us live on WCPT 820.com. The TuneIn radio app or tell Alexa or Google to play WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. I am joined by former Sun-Times and Chicago Tribune editor Mark Jacob. Uh, There's lots, Mark, that I want to talk to you about, but first of all, happy holidays. Mark, are you there? Yeah. Hey, Lady Beat, we got him? I don't... Talk to me again, Mark. I can hear hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I can hear your dulcet tones. Uh, I couldn't hear you a a second ago. Um, There's other things I want to talk to you about, but it occurred to me an interesting place to start would be the conversation that I just had with Edwin Eisendrath of what do you think was a high point and a low point for this last year, and I want you to um, maybe look forward to 2023. Maybe you've got a prediction or something that you are hoping will happen in 2023. So um, what do you think about 2022? Personally, I'm kind of glad to see the end of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, from a like a macro political viewpoint, I'm really sorely disappointed that you know, still no person in the suit and tie has been uh, even charged with uh, January 6th. We're coming up to the second anniversary of that. And the fact that when we know, we know from facts, from just plain old facts, that, you know, high up members of the Republican Party were involved in, you know, plotting a, a coup. And no one's even arrested. Nobody's been arrested. No one's been charged. No, nothing. And yeah. I think that that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty tough to see that, that nothing happened in 2022. On the other side, you know, it, I mean, Merck, I'm on the positive side, uh, Garland at least has named a special prosecutor who seems to, a special counsel who seems to be moving very fast. And, you know, so I think we can hope for it next year, but it's kind of talking about Jack year, Smith. Joan. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's kind of happened next year. I mean, you can't get into an election year, 2024, with all this, you know, with with this still unresolved. And, you know, uh, so I, I guess I guess the positive, there's positive and negative, but but justice delayed is justice denied. And, and that, that counts both for, you know, being acquitted and being convicted. And, uh, you know, so I, I think, you know, our, our government's set up to protect us from people like Donald Trump. And and all the rest of these characters, you know, people who were who who were, you know, texting the president's chief of staff three days before you're we supposed to leave office and trying to you know convince him to do a military coup. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's mind blowing to think about when you you know, it just 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 even saying those words, Joan. I mean, I can't imagine in my whole lifetime I would say those words that, you know, that, that the people in the White House would be discussing a military coup. But that's exactly I, uh, what happened. 
It is exactly what happened. Not that everybody is comfortable describing that way it, in those terms, but that is exactly what happened. That's what we would call it if it happened in a different country. Right. Um, right. And well, I think... Yeah, I know. I, I know you're right that not everyone would call it a military coup, but if you're talking about all the legal remedies having been exhausted and, you, and it's really clear you lost by, you know, like 7 million votes and you're still deciding, oh, it's not fair for some reason that's in your own crazy little head. That's and, and therefore you want the military to to keep this president in office. To me, that's a military coup. I don't know how, Absolutely. I don't know how rationally you can see it as anything else. So um, anyway, it, it, I was a little concerned when Jack Smith was named. I didn't know if this was Merrick Garland just washing his hands of the whole thing or what. But I have since been doing a little, not a great deal of depth, but a little bit of reading about Jack Smith. And the consensus seems to be, and this is what gives me some hope, is that this guy is not afraid to jump into the deep end of the pool. He is not afraid to prosecute people from any party. He, he's been described as absolutely fearless. And like you, I don't honestly at this point even care if Donald Trump is found guilty or innocent by a jury or a judge. I think we need to establish the precedent that nobody's above the law. And even if you're a president or a former president, you can be charged. I think that's the long term takeaway. Yeah, I do want to correct you on one thing, though, because, I mean, I don't agree with you that that's that's enough. I want this. I want to see Donald Trump behind bars. I want him in prison. Because that's because clearly he's he's a traitor and he tried to overthrow democracy. So I want him in prison. But uh, but, but step one is charging him with something. So I guess exactly. we agree with that that would be a good sign. You know, I'm just I am disappointed though that it took so long to name someone like Smith. I mean, come on, what was Merrick Garland doing all this time? And, and, but it does seem that there, as if there's, you know, the, where there he's thrown in into fifth gear on uh, on subpoenas and stuff like that. So. So, you know, I, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful this next year. I think this next year you're asking about 2023. And two things about that. I think, you know, I think we've got to see Donald Trump, you know, charged with a felony. And not not doesn't necessarily have to be January 6th. He's, he also stole top secret government records and lied about it, obstructed justice by not giving them back, even though his lawyer promised it that he had. So so that sounds like that's an easier thing to charge him with. I, I, 2023, he, I... I fully expecting to be charged with a felony in that. And I also expect to see the Republicans in the House of Representatives make an entire mess out of everything and just and, and really embarrass the country, you know, globally by by just their behavior. You know, you're going to see Jim Jordan, who who uh, ignored a subpoena in charge of the, you know, the Judicial Committee. And you're going to see you're going to see probably and you're going to see, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, you know, the Jewish space lasers lady, you know, the Gazpacho police lady, you know, the the, you're going to see her, you know, on key committees. Uh, So it's going to be it's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be embarrassing. And and I hope it I mean, the thing is with the split government, though, I mean, I don't. It, it does mean that truly horrible things can't happen. I mean, that's yes. why it's so important for Biden to be elected over Trump. I mean, I, I thought those four years with Trump were the most scary because, you know, because he could do anything. He was in charge of the military and and it was a military coup was indeed possible. You know, and he's I mean, he 
you know, he used tear, you know, he used uh, gas against uh, peaceful demonstrators. I mean, he was capable of, of using all the powers of government to, uh, you know, to steal people's rights. So absolutely. So, you know, so, so split government, it will be kind of a mess. You know, I mean, will they, will the Republicans prevent the government from being funded and will that, you know, hurt, hurt the economy, all this other stuff. Those are so I expect to be kind of a circus in the next year, actually. Mark, we need to take a break. But when we come back, I want to continue to talk about you mentioned one of the things that you would like to see Trump indicted for was the fact that he kept uh, documents, um, top secret documents, brought them home with him, lied to the FBI about whether or not he had them. As I'm sure you saw within the last um, uh, recent time period, the Department of Justice is uh, going after what they call the Trump office, which is the lawyers, basically, especially the lawyers at Mar-a-Lago, who've been trying to corral all these documents. They are going after them for a with a contempt charge. I personally was very disappointed. Again, it's like you said, um, the DOJ seems really comfortable going after the low level people involved in some of this stuff without touching the higher levels. Mark Jacob and I are going to take a break. We're going to continue to talk about this right after uh, right after we come back after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito live, local and progressive are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm speaking with former Sun-Times and Trib editor Mark Jacob. We are talking about all the shenanigans re- regarding top-secret documents. Um, apparently, uh, this just um, this news, I don't know, maybe you saw it earlier, Mark, but I just saw it now in the in the break that uh, the January 6th committee says that their last public hearing is going to be this Monday, this Monday. I kind of thought we had seen the last of those. But uh, before we went to break, I was talking about how the Department of Justice said that they're going after the quote unquote Trump office, which is basically the lawyers who've been trying to wrangle all these documents, the lawyers who have been dragging their feet and uh, giving, if not outright, um, lying statements to the FBI, certainly befuddling, obfuscating statements. The DOJ is going after those lawyers with a contempt, with a contempt proceeding. But again, Donald Trump's name nowhere in the story. I don't get it, Mark. Well, yeah, it, 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 that's what's so frustrating is that because he, you know, there's nobody in, in, I don't think in the history of our country that has used lawyers so dishonestly and so uh, successfully as Donald Trump. I mean, he's used them to delay court cases, to delay payment of bills, you know, to, you know, to hide behind them, you know, and that's, a, and, you know, back uh, last summer, he got, you know, he got a lawyer to, attest that they'd given back all the materials, all the classified mm-hmm. documents when they hadn't. And now then that lawyer, you know, supposedly saying, well, I didn't know. I just uh, I just thought that uh, they told me to sign this, so I signed it. So yeah, and she wrote in a, a quick note. 
on it that's mm-hmm. that said to the best, you know, because it was like we've returned everything, and she added like to the best of my knowledge or something like that right. that she thought would protect her. Right, and it was a damn lie, and then and and so, but so they they want to just remove all accountability, you know, and you know some person shoplifts, you know, a, you know, a, a candy bar at the grocery store, you know, we sure have accountability for them. But, you know, the president of the United States or a former president steals documents and nobody's going to be accountable. Now, the, the issue you're talking about is the idea that, that the prosecutors, the, the DOJ and, you know, National Archives, all those people have been trying to get Trump's legal team to designate what they call a custodian of records. Somebody who would sign a document attesting that all, and I'm reading from the Washington Post here, sign a document attesting that all classified materials have been returned to the federal government. And they, they want somebody just to finally to go on the record and say <laughs> flat out that mm-hmm. we've given all that crap back, you know, because, they want, because there's great suspicion that they haven't. And so, and the, the thing that's both funny and really sad is that no, no lawyer on Trump's team is willing to sign it. Well, they, they've, they wised they've wised yeah, up. They've wised up. Finally. But what kind of, what kind of lawyer? I mean, these, they, you know, these people, so they won't, they, they will continue to represent Trump because, uh, you know, I don't know why. I don't know if he probably doesn't pay him. So who knows what? Maybe they think they'll get famous in some circles. But they, they continue to represent him, but they distrust him so deeply that they're afraid to sign their names to anything that he would attest to. So, so they Spectacular, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just, and it's, and, and any lawyer who would work for Trump at this point in time, I mean, you have to wonder what, you know, what is about, what is it about them? And so, so, so they, so they're still just trying to weasel out of any responsibility. I mean, you know, this, again, you know, this is, this is a guy who was president of the United States for four years. He's supposed to know the rules. He's been told the rules millions of times. And he, and, and yet he, he stole documents. He stole them. He hid them. He sh- probably shared them with people. You know, there was all this talk that that he would uh, at Mar-a-Lago. If you were a guest, he would you know, want to show you some of the stuff that he had. So he's just, you know, he's this kind of idiotic criminal who just uh, stole the documents and wanted to show them. And who knows whether, you know, who knows whether the Saudis have them? Who knows whether the Israelis have them? Who knows who has them? Who knows whether the Russians have them? Because it would be, it, there's a reason why documents are classified. It's so that, that other countries and people who may wish us harm or may, may wish advantage over us don't have that information. Also, countries share information with us. And if they share information with us and then we let it out to those countries' enemies, they're not going to share any information with us anymore. So, so this isn't just, oh, Donald Trump is misbehaving. He's always me, a whole scoundrel. Ha, ha, ha. It's not that. This is something that, that endangers our, our national security. People may well die because of this. People may have already died because of this. There's some people who think that there was uh, that CIA agents uh, uh, and operatives around the the world were endangered by, you know, by Trump. Well, that was, um, remember, one of the very first things he did as president was he shared some intel that he got from Israel. And in the right. sharing of it with, I believe it were Saudis who were at the. No, he shared, um, you know, he shared it with Kislyak in the White House. The, uh, the, yes, the that's it. Yes. And yeah. he compromised. Israel was like, dude, you know, they're going to yeah, know where this know. came from. Right, right. I mean, he's a, and, 
And, and, and is there no responsibility for that? Does nobody care about that? I mean, it, it, this is just, you know, as, as people say, I've said on television all the time in the news shows, you know, any other normal person who was, who uh, was a government employee, who was, you know, had access to uh, this kind of information, who let it out, who took it home with them, who lied about taking it home with them, they really they would be in prison right now. They would be sitting that's, in a prison cell. That's the right part now. that rankles a lot of people. And that's if if we do not act against Donald Trump, if he does not face charges for his behavior, then um we are gonna see a, a further erosion of people's faith in the justice system because well, you and me. I both know. Mark, if if you owned Mar a Lago or I owned Mar a Lago and the FBI had shown up and we had top secret documents, they would not have simply taken the documents. They would have taken us away right. in handcuffs. Right. He right. gets treated with kid gloves all the time. And I don't think I'm the only person who's getting utterly sick of it. Sick of it. And not just him, too. I mean, the people like Mark Meadows and uh, you know Scott Perry and that, that goofball uh, Ralph Norman in uh, you know South Carolina, who he's the one who texted Meadows and said we needed to, you know to declare martial law so that Trump can leave the leave the presidency. You know, is there no accountability for that? I mean, if this country had had the standards that we were all taught that it should have, the, his constituents, Norman's constituents in South Carolina, would demand that he quit. You know, what about that guy, uh, Andrew Clyde in Georgia, the representative, who said that it was a normal tourist visit on January 6th? In normal circumstances, somebody who said something that idiotic uh, would, would, be, would be just laughed out of office, would be hounded out of office. There would be people demanding that he just leave. Yet that just goes by the boards. Nobody really cares anymore. And this erosion of standards is, I mean, it has consequences. People, bad people get away with stuff when standards like that aren't, aren't upheld. Yeah. And that's one of the things that um, frightens me with his candidacy declared again is um, the Republicans who say, oh, well, you know, his time has come and gone and and mm-hmm. he's just sort of uh, going to fade away. If if this man has defied the odds more time than you can right. count. And my fear is that if he starts looking like a winner again, that they are going to, oh, I never, I, oh, I never turned my back on him. I always oh. supported him. Don't you remember? Yeah, they don't even, well, what did they do on March, on January 6th and 7th? They were like, mm-hmm. oh, Trump, he's terrible. Oh, no. And then, you know, then they were kissing the ring. You know, Joan, you know, I, I read a lot of history and, you know, two weeks before Hitler was named chancellor, people were talking about how he was done for, how he was, you know, he was a has-been and would never amount to anything. So this idea that, you know, so, so this assumption that people are not dangerous anymore when they've proven to be dangerous is ridiculous. And it's, it's also not just, not just Donald Trump. That's one of the things that I worry most about is that Trump will just fade away. Nobody will charge him. Nobody will do anything mm-hmm. about it. And we'll decide, and we'll decide that the Republican Party is not a traitor party when, when obviously they have been. That's what, that's what I worry about. And then so suddenly everything's, everything's all right again. And suddenly people can, like Elon Musk, can pretend that Ron DeSantis is a centrist. You know, so you get this, this, this gaslighting going on. Yep. And uh, I don't know if you saw this right before I went on the air. I saw that Elon Musk has suspended the account of the guy on Twitter 
who used his Twitter account to to monitor where Elon Musk's personal jet went, used to track right, it. On, that was, yeah. Right. Based on public information. I mean, it was mm-hmm. nothing wrong with him tracking that. It was using public information and tracking. And Elon Musk promised he would not take it down. He said that was part of his whole free speech thing, is he would not take it down. And then he took it down. Because you know what? Elon Musk is a liar. Elon yeah. Musk is a crazy as a Betsy bug liar. He's a nut. <laughs> and he's a, and, you know, and, and a dangerous nut, too, because, you know, because he when he declares somebody to be the enemy, you know, the crazy people with guns in their basement will go, you know, decide that they're the enemy. You know, that's why it was so dangerous when Elon Musk, you know, reposted that smear against Paul Pelosi. I mean, that's that it's just. You know, and, and, and decide that's free speech, you know, to just say things. And, and Elon Musk has never apologized for that. He's, and he's and he's also um, gone after Dr. Fauci, you know, right. oh, that in a way terrible. that the White House actually had to repudiate, saying, you know what? This is dangerous. When you, somebody with as many followers as you, goes after somebody like this, you make life dangerous for that person. Yeah, he's like he's sucking up to all these, you know, right wing and Nazi people. You know, he's like letting them back on Twitter and he's commenting on their posts and he's agreeing with them. And there was some Yahoo yesterday who was just slamming San Francisco, just talking about how terrible San Francisco is. And, and Elon Musk was just agreeing with them, you know, which is ironic considering the report in the New York Times yesterday about how Elon Musk isn't paying rent at his San Francisco office. I know. So, so, but, but, but he's sure enough to slam in San Francisco. You know, you get that with Chicago too. I mean, it's one of those, you can just tell who the worst characters are when they start slamming big cities because big cities are part of what makes this country great. Yep. And, 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 we, and when you see people, you know, they just, you just, they're just playing to the ignorant people when they start talking about how, oh, big cities are scary, terrible places. No, they're centers of great thinking. So just so shut up. I mean, that, that <laughs> makes me so mad being a being a Chicagoan and and also seeing how San Francisco gets it. You know, it's like, you know, whenever and I don't think it's a coincidence that whenever you know, uh, you know, powerful women are identified with you know states or cities, they you know they get slammed. You know, so they they want to tar Nancy Pelosi, so they have to slam San Francisco. Well, Mark, I appreciate your being here and taking the time to talk with us today. Um, it is always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Thank you again. Sure is. Thanks for talking. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with more after this. Take Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. There's new information. Explosive new information. It's how every day starts. Need for information. Get the info you need from Santita Jackson. Weekday morning starting at 6 on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. As we mentioned at the top of the show today, the Fed has once again raised their interest rates by half a percent. They said uh, inflation is cooling off, coming down, um, but it still needs a little bit more work, implying that there might be more rate hikes down the road. Uh, David Hochberg is here, and uh, there's a, a bunch of stuff that we want to talk to him about, but I also want to let you know 
that you can uh, call in or text. What did I do with my, there it is, there's my text link. Or you can uh, text in a question for David, 773-763-9278. So you can text me a question, you can call in. We're going to be talking to David for the next hour. David, happy holidays. How are you? Hey, Joan. Happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Great. Uh, there are a number of things that you want to talk about. First, does this rate hike, this uh, half a percent rate hike, does that mean mortgage rates are going to also take a bump in the near future? I, I don't know about that. Uh, we saw a little bit of a cooling in rates, uh, a pullback in rates. The 10-year note, which is what the 30-year fix is based off of in October, peaked out at 42 um, in November, it, it, it peaked out at like 4.1, and now it's trading at 3.5, 3.6. So we've seen a retraction in the in the 10-year note, which is what interest rates are based off of. But the yield curve is still in, inverted, which means in the short-term rates are, are higher than the long-term rates, which is a market indicator that there is a recession coming or if we're not already currently in a recession. So we, we still have some... Um, some tough times ahead of us cumulatively as an economy, as a country, uh, until prices continue to come down and, and labor shortages work itself out and um, and uh, labor availability, I guess, is a better word. I've been listening to a lot of the talking heads on uh, CNBC. I heard I, I listened to Fed Chairman Powell answer questions from the uh, uh, financial reporters and. You know, he gave himself a lot of out, you know, a lot of leeway. He said, you know, he doesn't want to let the market think that he's going to let off the gas anytime in the future. But if there are major signs that spending has decreased the first quarter of the year, you know, he gave himself an out to maybe, you know, continue to increase it if he doesn't see signs of things cooling and also to cool to step back if things do get worse in the economy. So. A whole bunch of nothing, but uh, <laughs> he raised the he raised the interest rates, um, the short term interest rates, another fifty basis points, which is better than raising it seventy five basis points, like he's done the last four times. Yeah, that the Fed has met. So a little reprieve, but it is going to cost our listeners who are carrying credit card balances more on a monthly basis. It's going to cost our listeners who have home equity line of credits more, half a point more. It's going to cost. Our listeners who are going to buy and or lease a car more because yeah, the short-term interest rates are higher. So um, things are getting more expensive or, you know, will get more expensive. And hopefully prices for um, for food, fuel has already come down, as all of our listeners know. It's down $2 from the peak. So that's good. And, uh, you know, we as a country will adapt and adjust and get things uh, recalibrated. So you're overall, you're optimistic for the long run. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I had the full faith in the Fed when we when when we crashed, you know, when the economy crashed in 08. Bernanke was or um, I forgot who was the Fed chair back then when they flooded the system with money to keep everything rolling in 08. And we corrected ourselves. And I have full faith in the men and women on, on the Federal Reserve to analyze the financial information that they get 
on a detailed basis throughout the country with, uh, from different sectors and make the right decisions to tamp down inflation. Unfortunately, some sectors are going to get are going to feel the pain and some of our listeners are going to get cut back on their jobs and might lose their jobs. But, you know, the Fed's job is to, uh, is monetary policies and, and, the, and the guys and gals on the Fed have to get, have to get this inflation in check. So mm-hmm. hopefully in, in the short term, the inflation will cool down and rates will short, um, mortgage rates will continue to come back because we saw a drop off of first time home buyers from like 36% to 24%. So the first time home buyer, buyer, uh, has been knocked out of the market you know, by, by a third from what it was a year before. So we are starting to see signs of slowdowns, which is a Let's, good thing for inflation. We uh, have um, some people calling in who want to join our conversation. Uh, let's take a call. Let's go, uh, Lady B, to Paul, who's calling in from Seattle, and wants to talk about interest rates. Hey, Paul, you're on with me and David Huckberg. Oh, hi, Joan. I, I have to wait for David Hochberg to come on to, to find somebody who wants to talk to me about this because uh, everybody just walks away from me and says, well, what do you want? That's boring. But, um, so I really just resent the characterization of the Biden economy as the slumping economy because if you have to raise interest rates to cool it off, right, it must be a very hot economy. So what is interest? What is, what is inflation? Okay, so it's a shift in the... Uh, Price equals demand divided by supply curves, and apparently the demand is outpacing the supply. Right? Our, right. our, uh, you know, our our supply side economics can't keep up with the demand that the Biden administration has been able to. To we have this unemployment. This unemployment has been the lowest in fifty years. So we got the demand side uh, covered. It's the supply side the, that is not holding up their end of the bargain, and I think that maybe not all of this is inflation, that a lot of it is uh, corporate greed. But look what the Fed does. I mean, so maybe I'm disagreeing with you a little bit here, David, but they are a one-trick pony. The cure for inflation is bang, interest rates, bang, 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 bang. I mean, do they only have a hammer? Remember Paul Volcker, remember Paul Volcker, raised interest rates to 20%. It's like there are other things to do. So right now, while companies want to still hire people, well, hiring is really hot. It's better, apparently, that people have no job than have a job and pay higher prices because there are other ways to do this, and the Fed just has no other creative ideas about it. So it's like American people have to hurt. We have to make people. We have to make it too expensive for corporations to do business so they won't hire and, they won't, and, and people won't have jobs, but then here's how we'll fix them later. Since it's too expensive to do business, they'll get a tax cut, right? When the Republicans can do that, they'll get their money back on doing business while regular uh, Jane and Joe public are out on their you-know-what. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? David, you want to jump in here? I kind of agree. You know, but here, the the challenge that the Fed chairman said in his his, um, answers to the questions from the – reporters from the financial industry was the the worker fall off that either retired or died during COVID and he and he did use you know pass away died during his answer um, has been substantial and there is a in uh, an employee shortage a worker shortage and listening to the um, experts on CNBC afterwards analyze what Fed Chair Powell said 
um, they were saying a lot of companies don't want to lay off people because they're having they're they're afraid that when they do have to hire people, they're going to have a tough time hiring people. So exactly what you're saying, Paul, it, it's it, it, it. I agree with you. It's a total supply side challenge, right? All of a sudden, and you know this better because you're on the West Coast. The number of ships in the port of Los Angeles shrunk from I think in the 80s last year at this time. I think we're down into the single digits right now. And in the port of San Francisco, you know, there aren't as many ships off the port, which means that um, shipping is getting back in line and we're getting the products off of those boats and and the um, supply chain is getting back in order. You know, we all know that China just lifted their COVID restrictions. So, you know, the, the and the poor Chinese public is going to be dying off in public there, you know, in, in boatloads, no pun intended, because I, I read an article in Bloomberg this morning that they're not even keeping track of how many Chinese are dying because of the COVID outbreak there now that everybody wanted the restrictions lifted. So all of that will get back in order. And I agree with Paul 100%. There is corporate greed here. There, the, there is padding of, of profits to excessive levels. And it, 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 it's ridiculous. And the sooner we – and I'm a capitalist, right? I'm all for that, but I'm not a gougeist. If that's even a word, right? I'm uh, all. Well, we just created it. Making... A gougeous. I do well. Yeah, and you're welcome. You know, but I don't. <laughs> I don't believe in price gouging. I believe you make an honest dollar for an honest, you know, an honest, honest wage and an honest profit for what you do. I don't believe gouging people, and that's what I believe. A lot of this is coming to, and once we get that out of the system, and the prices come down, and we take that fat out of the system. We'll get back into equilibrium a lot sooner, and inflation will come down a lot faster, right? And then the wages that our listeners got increases might actually be able to afford to save something. Because right now, the increase in wages that a lot of our listeners have received over the past year, they're not even realizing the increased wages because that increased wages is just going to cover their monthly expenses, so, I mean, are you really ahead? No, you're you're just you're not as far behind as you would have been if you didn't get the increase in the wage. So, it's a very convoluted situation, and hopefully, it gets to some type of you know. Listen, I'm not going to figure this out with Paul and you on the radio here, right? There's a there's a lot of moving pieces, and I'm just hoping that you know we had an unbelievable growth spurt, and to make it you know break it down a little simpler for our listeners, inflation is more dollars chasing after less goods, right? It's a complete mm-hmm. supply and demand. That's as simple as I can make it. I know Paul had a, you know, you know, formula, and he's 100% right, but, you know, for our listeners that aren't, you know, as complicated, like, what the hell did Paul just say? You've got more <laughs> dollars chasing after less goods, right? So if you've got a lot of people trying to buy peanut butter and there's not a lot of peanut butter on the shelf, the price of peanut butter is going to go up. I mean, it, it's that simple. And you could replace peanut butter with milk and eggs and cars and, and clothing and wood and, and, and copper and, and roofing supplies and, and new cars and used cars. I mean, all of that applies. Okay, I'm just trying to break it down in the simplest form. But Paul's formula is 100% right when it comes to, you know, Econ 101. But for our listeners that aren't, economic, you know, um, you know, financially advanced like that, it's it's more dollars chasing after fewer goods. I mean, that's as, as simple as I could get it. And um, we're going to be, future, a, we need to take a break, but I just want um, 
Paul, uh, to know, you, Paul started this conversation with us, David, by saying that, you know, people don't always pay attention to him. Paul, I want you to know that I actually got an email from one of my listeners asking if you had a podcast because they thought your comments were so interesting. So there you go. Hey. Uh, David Hochberg and I are going to take a break and be back with more after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I am joined by David Hochberg, who um, is, of course, the people, the people, the peoples that we go to for uh, all of our financing needs, mortgages, uh, VA loans, refinances. That's my favorite thing. I like every year or so to do a refinance. Um, and it's, it's, it's a miserable experience, but, um, David Hochberg and his team make it easy. You know, they just say, okay, sign here. Okay. I can do that. Um, and it, um, is a good company. They are good people to work with. We are talking about, well, we started talking about the Fed rate and what it means for inflation. Um, I want to, before we move on to other aspects of our conversation, David, I want to take another call on inflation. Mike is calling in from the south suburbs. Hello, Mike. You're on with me and David Hochberg. Go ahead. Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, I just wanted to share that um, I attended a uh, economic outlook symposium uh, hosted by the Chicago Federal Reserve Bank a couple of weeks ago. And the uh, this increase was actually expected. I mean, before uh, going to that, I thought that, you know, the Fed would probably bump interest rates up by about 75 basis points uh, because I thought that they were afraid that the inflation fighting uh, things that they, the strategy, the age old strategy may not be as effective in a market where you had labor shortages. But uh, what came out of that symposium is that over the next two years, 24, uh, 23 and into 24, things look actually very bright. Inflation is coming down at a faster pace than what was expected. Unemployment is not expected to go up um, as high as they had anticipated. They're looking at maybe anywhere from uh, four to four and a half percent. Um, inventories, companies have so much excess inventory uh, that you're going to see a reduction in prices across the board. You're going to see Black Fridays like you've never seen them before and Amazon Prime Days and all of that because uh, manufacturers have a lot of inventory that they've got to get out of the way. So, you know, I just feel with the audience that, that things for the next year to year and a half uh, look bright. You're going to see the Fed maybe make a, uh, depending upon what the numbers look like in, you know, the early part, the first quarter of, uh, of 2023, they, there may be a, a, a small hike, but I don't think you're, you're going to see any any large hikes the way that uh, they've been doing in the past. So, it, you know, just in general, it, the uh, the general consensus coming out of that was that Things are not as bad as as they uh, you know could have been, and and will improve over the next year to year and a half. What do you think, David? You're right. 
Yeah. I, I think, I think, no, no, I, I hope he's right. And I think this caller, you know, just like Paul, and I, you know, I thank this caller. And I thank Paul every time I'm on. Paul calls in from Seattle and shares his wisdom, which is great. Um, and I appreciate this gentleman calling in and telling us about the meeting he was at, you know, whether uh, Chicago Fed went over the numbers. Bottom line is this, right? It was so good for so long that eventually all good things come to an end, and, and there was a correction in place here. I, I'll give you some numbers. It doesn't impact us here in Chicago. Lennar Home Builders, which is one of the largest home builders in the United States, is selling 5,000 brand-new homes that they built in the southeast part of the country and the southwest part of the country. The average price of these homes is $491,000. Again, another, according to another article in Bloomberg from earlier this week, last week, no, it was at the end of last week. You can look it up. the The market price for those homes cumulatively is two point five billion 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 with a B dollars. Now you've got Lennar Homes going to the marketplace and seeking investors because they can't sell those homes. What does that tell you? The real estate market is starting to retract. Okay, we don't have that problem as much here in Chicago because the inventory is so low, right? I mean, if somebody put 5,000 homes and built 5,000 homes, it would, it would completely deflate the Chicago market because we haven't had a whole track of homes built like that here in a long time, since 2008, 2009, everything went kablooey. So what this caller is saying, what Paul was saying is 100% right. We had a great run, okay, and... Um, the Fed's trying to, you know, do this quote-unquote soft landing. I, I, I don't know what that means because I've never seen it, right? And all the experts that I listen to and I follow, there's no such thing as a soft landing. And again, all due respect to the Fed, this is the same Fed who said that the inflation was transitory and there's nothing to worry about. And all of a sudden, we saw unbelievable spikes in everything. So um, I will wait to see it. Here, I will say this. The sooner that the inflation gets knocked down, the sooner that we could get back to some sort of normalcy, right? And I think what experts were saying also is that a lot of these workers that retired are going to start looking to come back into the workforce because they're running out of money. Okay, that's what a couple of these experts said. So, listen, eventually... What, what goes up comes down. What comes down goes up. And um, I think we're going to see a little bit of a slowdown in the economy. How slow? I'll let you know in four months, right? I don't predict anything like that. And when they slow it down, what's the Fed got to do? The Fed's going to drop rates to get everything going again, and we'll just refinance the hell out of everybody. I could tell you this. The carbon monoxide in this whole, in this whole situation is, is that our listeners are putting more on their credit cards than they ever have. How do I know? Because I see the credit card debt every time we pull the credit report, right? And I'm telling you, the average credit card balances were twenty to forty thousand dollars. They're now thirty to fifty to sixty thousand dollars, and those are real numbers. I'm not making that up. I don't have to make it. I see the credit reports, and that fifty to sixty thousand dollars is costing our listeners between fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars a month, which is the equivalent of a two and three hundred thousand dollar mortgage payment. So what's going to happen, Joan? And here's what I will predict. Everybody that went into your 2 and 3% 30-year fixed loans and 15-year fixed loan during COVID, that you're sitting with thirty to $50,000 or twenty to $60,000 with credit card debt, 
when rates come out of the sevens and we're in the sixes now, depending upon the variables, when they dip into the fives and they dip into the fours, God willing, sometime soon, it's going to be cheaper when it gets to it. And I'll, you could, you could replay this next year to refinance <laughs> out of your twos and threes and go into a four or five or maybe a six, because it's not about the interest rate. It's about the monthly payment. And to and to pay off that twenty to sixty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt is going to be better for every single one of your listeners to roll it into a new thirty year fixed loan to drop the overall monthly payment down. That's what it's all about and to get your credit straightened out, so your credit score shoot up so when you want to go to buy a new car that are in full stocks now because the chip plant that we're building in Arizona and the chip plants that we're building in Columbus are coming online in a year or two. Whenever they come on online, you'll be able to buy a new car at a lower price with a higher credit score. So that's what's gonna that's what I do forecast, right? You 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 will see a mass refinancing out of the twos and threes that you went into and God bless you, but that credit card debt is like an anchor tied around your 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 feet and you're drowning. And it's gonna be better to blow that out and I'll be here to help everybody do it. Because I've seen it before, and, mm-hmm. and we'll just keep. Uh, and as rates come down, we'll keep refinancing. Heck, I think we refinanced you three, four times. Oh, I know yeah. you didn't like it, but I, I mean, you were. It's all that paperwork. I hate all that stuff and all that. It's like a. It's like it's all written in Latin too. It's not even in English. Uh, oh David, God. David Hotbrook and I are good. If he could, let's face it, folks. If he can work with me, he can work with anybody. We're going to take a break. That's, for- my new, that's my new quote. <laughs> if I can work with Joan Esposito, everybody else is a piece of cake. <laughs> that's right. We're going to take a break for news and be back with more after this. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me sure. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa! You feel that right away. Oh. It's just refreshing. This hour of Joan Esposito Live, Local, and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hawkberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Some banks can make it complicated to redeem credit card rewards. But with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. Talk about amazing. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I am joined by David Hochberg, Um, and I love it, David, when we get uh, this question was texted in, and I don't know what it means, not that that's going to be a shock to anybody. Uh, here's the question from Mark uh, for you. What is your solution to stop hedge funds and foreign investors from purchasing single-family homes? I didn't realize that that was a problem. Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, how do you stop capitalism? Um, so I don't know how you stop that. Uh, the pro, the public sector, the private sector comes in and, um, buys it up here. So what this, um, what this text is referring to is Lennar going out with 2.5 or $2.6 billion worth of homes, single family, Homes that they built five thousand units at an average price of four hundred ninety-one grand, and there's no market for it, so they're going to the marketplace. Well, not too many people are laying around that could stroke a check for two point five or two point six billion dollars, except these huge hedge funds, right? So, um, I don't know how you stop it. 
I'll be honest with you. I will tell you this. You might think it's bad, but hedge funds came in and saved Romeoville in 2008 when everything collapsed in Romeoville. How do I know that? Because I was doing loans in Romeoville when they were building new houses, 05, 06, before at the end of 07. Um, buyers in Romeoville were paying two forty to two fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars for homes. Then oh, the end of oh seven oh eight happened. Everything collapsed. An investment group came in and bought I don't know one hundred and fifty to two hundred homes in Romeoville at at a hugely discounted price of eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars. And then they started selling them off, renting them out one to stabilize the market so the commercial businesses within the um, Romeoville, Joliet area had bodies in those homes to support the local businesses to get, you know, to keep the businesses up and running and the restaurants and the gas stations and, and all the little shops there going. And then as the market stabilized, when you buy a hundred and some homes in Romeoville, you essentially control the market there at that time. And they started selling them off as the market stabilized. And, you know, you could thank big-time investors for coming in and saving the town of Romeoville during the 07-08 collapse. So there's a double-edged sword. How do you stop it? I don't know how you stop it. Again, that's capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to come to the marketplace with a gigantic block of homes, and the investor wants a check. There's not too many people that could write a billion-plus dollars, uh, you know, wire billion-plus dollars to a servicer or the owner yeah. of this property. So I don't know how you stop it. I really don't. I really don't. Um, we had another texter, David. Uh, you yeah. earlier, you were we were you were using peanut butter as an example that if suddenly there's a peanut butter shortage, the price of peanut butter goes up. But somebody texted in as like, let's use Smuckers for an example. If they are making money and they're very profitable, whether or not there's a shortage, why should the price of peanut butter go up? If they're already making money, why why post a higher price on peanut butter? They didn't understand the thinking there. Because because there's only limited. Okay, so if you have a hundred jars of peanut butter and you got a thousand people wanting to buy them, right? There's going to be a greater supply, a, a greater demand than there is for the hundred jars of peanut butter. A thousand people want a hundred jars of peanut butter in this example, right? So price is going to go up because there's one jar of peanut butter for every 10 people, right? So if there were a thousand jars of peanut butter and you only had a hundred people wanting to buy those thousand jars, unless you got somebody jonesing on peanut butter, right? That's going crazy. And you got to go with the chunky because you go with the smooth. That's kind of what <laughs> just in my opinion, if you're going to eat, I love butter, them both. Crunchy. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have the chunky just for personal reasons. So I throw it out there. But if you got a thousand people, Buy, you know, if you've got a thousand jars on the shelves and you got a hundred people buying it, well, of course there's going to be, you know, a, a more equalized pricing, right? Because the the um, the grocery store is going to want to move it because they've got more peanut butter coming in. It's just like the other caller that called in after Paul. These the consumer is going to benefit because after Christmas, when these warehouses are still full with all of the goods that they didn't sell during the next 14 days or however many, 11 days until Christmas, okay, you're going to see huge after Christmas sales. Huge. Okay. And you're already seeing signs of it. And if 
they're not moving all the inventory than they have. It's the exact opposite. So I'll turn around on the texture or the caller that, you know, with the question, you know, why should these could the why should these companies discount everything? If somebody's willing to pay five dollars for a shirt, why should they put it on the market for two fifty? But they've got tens of thousands of shirts they want to get off their shelves because they have more inventory coming in. Right. Mm-hmm. So it works both ways. It works both ways. It's complete supply and demand. And right now we're still a little out of whack. You still have more dollars chasing after fewer goods. That's the simplest way. And Paul said it, you know, a little more technically advanced, but this is just, you know, uh, econ for dummies like me, right? Just more dollars chasing after fewer goods. Not calling your listeners dummies. I'm just trying to break it down for them so they understand it easily. Um, Let's go back to the phone lines. Alan is calling in with Buffalo Grove, and Alan has a question for you, David. Alan, you're on with uh, David Hochberg. Go ahead. Matt, do we have Alan? Hello, Alan. Alan, are you there, Alan? Okay, well, let's uh, put Alan back on hold. We'll get to him a little bit later. Um, Another, we got another text uh, David, what do you think about Plainfield? A lot of new houses for inexpensive prices. Do you suggest investing there? A lot of room to breathe, too. So can I guess what yeah. this person's asking is, can regular people do what the hedge funds did? See a, a good sure. potential housing market and invest in it? Sure, sure. I mean, a, a, a normal listener is going to buy one or two houses if you're if you're in a liquid if you have the liquidity to buy more than one house. Yeah, sure. Listen, what's going to happen? Foreclosures are going to increase next year. How do I know that? Because I already see the writing on the walls. Okay, the first round of COVID foreclosures are coming through. It's been a year since the uh, forbearance moratorium and the foreclosure moratorium lifted for, uh, for humanitarian reasons. Humanitarian reasons. We we don't evict um, homeowners in the winter time. It's just cruel, right? But come. Come to March and April, if you haven't made your mortgage payment and you've gone through the foreclosure process, when it gets warmer, those houses are going to be on the market. Those individuals, those listeners who are going to get foreclosed, and I'm not trying to be a cold-hearted SOB. I'm not trying to be a matter of fact on this. I'm just telling you the way it is, okay? Our listeners are going to, some of our listeners are going to be evicted. Some of our listeners, friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors are going to be evicted, and they're going to need some place to live which means they're going to go into somebody's basement, a family member's basement, or they're going to have to rent. All right. So I think investment properties at this given day, like this given time is a great opportunity. If you could buy the house, right, get a closing cost credit from the seller to cover your closing costs. You're buying the house and renting the mortgage rate. What does that mean? That don't get hung up on whatever interest rate you're going to pay now, which is going to be probably in the sevens, maybe in the eights for, in the um, high sevens and pay discount points to get it for an investment property. But when rates come down and they will come down in the future, you're buying the home, renting the rate, right? So you're marrying the home, you're renting the rate, right? Buy the home, mm-hmm. rent the rate, right? It's the same thing. So when rates come down, as we did with you and your house and rates come down and it, it's economically feasible and it makes sense to refinance a, a good mortgage professional like me and my team or others out there who are still going to be in business because there's going to be a lot of mortgage professionals, a lot of real estate agents that are going to be out of business because they're not going to be able to weather this storm, right, that we've experienced for the past 12 months. It's been a rough, you know, it's been a rough year for the real estate industry. Nobody's, I'm not going to 
be sitting out there at the stoplight, you know, you know, you know, asking for donations. I'm all right. I set aside money, but a lot of, a lot of my, a lot of my friends in the industry, it, it, it's 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 do or die right now. A lot of them are getting part time jobs someplace else, and some of them are just saying, "I'm too old for this crap. I'm out." And a lot mm-hmm. of realtors are, are going through the same thing. So it's common. I know I've been talking about it. These foreclosures are going to hit the market come the spring, and I think buying an investment property for this texter is a great opportunity for that for for that listener. If if they could get it at the right price, they could finance it correctly, get the seller to pay for some closing costs. Keep some money in your pocket. I think it's a great opportunity. Absolutely. David, bef- before we uh, go to break, real quick, uh, do you just do residential or do you do commercial loans as well? I, I have relationships with, um, we do commercial as well. It's just the commercial lender that we work with at this current time is, is a credit union who is having challenges with their deposits. So they don't have enough money coming in to put it back on the street. So they're getting their deposit equilibrium in 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 realignment, if you will. So I have relationships doing this since August of 2000 for the past 21, 22 years that um, uh, I've got relationships with a bunch of commercial lenders that if we can't do it, I'll refer you to a reputable lender that will take care of all our listeners. We are going to take a break. David Hochberg is going to be back with me right after this. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I am uh, joined by David Hochberg. I have heard rumors that Alan from Buffalo Grove is actually once again with us. Alan, go ahead. You had a question for David? Hello? <laughs> David, uh, my question is this: uh, Can you? I'm wondering about, from your standpoint, what's a morally or ethically justified or intellectually honest? What should interest rates be? Given the fact that, you know, when the Fed dropped the rates down to zero or almost zero, I mean, I mean, people, there was absolutely no reason for people to save. It became almost silly to save. I'm just wondering what you think, what you believe, kind of a a range of what should interest rates actually be so that our economy could function in somewhat of a balanced manner as opposed to like after the 2008 crash, they dropped them down to zero and slowly they got back. Powell tried to get them back. Then Trump jawboned him and made him drop rates. And then, of course, COVID dropped to zero. What do you think it should be? Given the fact you believe in capitalism, should money be free? No, no, I don't think money should be free. I think, um, I, I could tell you at the beginning of uh, of 2020, I, I'll give you the short version answer. At, yeah, at the beginning of 2020, again, I've been doing this since the August of, of 2000. I never saw rates. Our industry hadn't seen rates drop as low as it dropped at the beginning of 2020. Okay. And our entire industry basically within a two-week period of time uh, got commitments for over six, seven weeks worth of volume. So what happened at the beginning of 2020? Rates dropped to like the high twos low threes, and everybody in my industry was running around crazy, working 18-hour days, seven days a week, trying to process all this paperwork. Well, the banks got consumed, 
so much at that time that they increase rates in order to cut the flow off, okay? But right when the boa constrictor swallowed the water buffalo was the analogy I used at that time, and, and all those loans worked its way through. It took about six, seven weeks for our industry to consume it and the, and the underwriters and the banks to accept these loans. Then we go into mid-March of 2020. We all know what happened there, right? Rates were coming back. It was normal. Then all of a sudden, all this stuff coming out of China, we have a boat off the port of whatever that they're not letting people off of. And the pandemic hits. We all think we're going to die and everybody's in our houses, right? Well, the markets froze at that time um, and rates shot back up to like 5 6 7% because the banks didn't know what to do. Right, because now the banks are looking at it. Everybody's in quarantine. How are we going to? How is anybody going to get to work? Where's the money going to come from to pay the mortgages we have on the books? And then all of a sudden, the Fed got together with the government, you know, with our, our leaders in Congress, and all the PPP money started flowing. I'm, I'm, I'm condensing things because because we're against time here. So then, what happens? Right, boom. The the price the. Uh, Funds rate drops. The uh, 10-year note at that time, you can look it up, in August of 2020, dropped to 0.5, right? Today, it's at 3.5. At 0.5, the 30-year fix was trading at 2.5%. Lowest I ever saw it. Anybody in my industry saw it. So we stayed there for about 20, 24 months, and then it started increasing. To answer your – got to do a little history in order to answer your question going forward. Do I think 2, 2.5% is realistic? No. I don't think two two and a half percent is realistic because I think there was too much money flooding the system at the time, and it, everybody was going crazy because it was cheaper to go buy a house than it was to rent. That being said, I've been doing this a long time. Like I said, okay, if we could get back into a thirty-year fix somewhere in the mid fours and have an adjustable rate mortgage out there in 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 the mid threes, that that's a great equilibrium. Right, and I think everybody can make money there. I think that's a fair number. At seven, it's restricted, and and how do we know that? Look at first-time home buyers. The number of first-time home buyers dropped from I think thirty-six percent of the market down to twenty-four percent of the market. Yes, the first-time home buyers over the past twelve months have been squeezed out of the market due to higher interest rates. So what did Fannie, Freddie do? The FHFA came out and basically said we're eliminating all the costs, all the barriers, all the loan-level price adjusters. For anybody who hasn't owned a home in the past three years, which is the definition of a first-time home buyer, do so I think somewhere to answer your question, my friend in Buffalo Grove, is somewhere in the in the in the high fours, mid to high fours, would be a nice equalization, and you could get adjustable rate mortgages in the three. You've got a nice stabilized market. It enables all of our listeners and their friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors to uh, consolidate that debt into their homes that still have value. Right, because listen, thank God we have a shortage of inventory, or else property values would drop fifty to sixty percent. We're not going to see that this time around because there's just not enough inventory out there. So that's what I think. That's what I hope. And because right now we don't see any adjustable rate mortgages really on the market because the the, um, the bankers feel that there is going to be an adjustment down. Why come to the market with an adjustable rate mortgage today that's going to be refinanced sometime in the next twelve? six to 12 months when rates come down. So that's where I think uh, it's, a, it's a long answer to kind of a complicated question because there's a lot of moving pieces. But I think somewhere in the high threes, low fours, you know, your trade between 3.75 and five and a quarter would be a good range for a nice equilibrium, to be honest with you. Nice. Um, thank you for the call. Uh, David, 
Um, are we seeing more millennials moving back home, and is that a trend that's going to continue? Well, yeah, according to a recent Bloomberg article, um, we've seen more millennials move back into their parents' home at, at a greater pace than than what we saw in the Great Depression. Uh, a majority of Americans aged between 18 to 29 are now living with their parents, right? And and there's a number of reasons. Again, this is a Bloomberg story that your listeners can look up if they want to read it. 51% they want to save money. Uh, 39% said that they wanted to um, move back because they couldn't afford the rent because rents are still high. They want to take care of their parents. A lot of our parents are aging in place. So a lot of a lot of millennials, 31% of the millennials are moving back because um, they're taking care of their parents, uh, 29% because they like living with them. Some of them have personal health issues that mom and dad could only take care of them. Twenty, A large group of them lost their jobs, and another smaller group of them are afraid they are going to lose their jobs. So um, we're seeing that trend. Our listeners are seeing their kids moving back into their homes, and if they're looking to save money, the best way to save money is to pay off whatever debt they have. I mean, that's the best money saved, right? Because if you can pay off debt, then you're eliminating a liability, and then whatever that money is going out to pay off the liability is going to be extinguished in the future, and then you'll qualify for to, to save money faster to buy another home. More importantly, or just as importantly, I should say, your credit scores of that person who's paying off that debt and living with their parents will skyrocket and put them into a much better position because the higher the credit score, the lower the interest rate. It's just a fact. And the way we raise our credit score is by going online and paying off our credit cards at the end of every week. See, you think I don't listen to you, but I do. Yeah, limited. You're like you're like my kids, but I appreciate you, <laughs> you gaining traction on that. Now, but, and again, that's the easiest way. Right. Just pay your credit cards off. I had one guy call. I was on another station. He's like, I just paid off my credit card. I'm going to I'm going to cut them up. And I'm like, well, I think that's I respectfully disagree with with what you're about to do, because you're going to lose all the benefits that you just gained from paying off your credit card because you don't gain any benefits by using a debit card. If you want to look up something? Um, I think I, I mentioned this the last time I was on Frank Abagnale. The guy, uh, you can't catch me. The Tom Hanks movie. Yeah. He's online. There's a great, there's a great article, a, a great video of him saying that using a debit card is the biggest sucker play on the planet. And to use your credit card and use it like a debit card, meaning use your credit card and then pay it off. That way, you build credit history, you build credit, um, uh, a credit profile, and you'll show future creditors that you're responsible and you can pay your credit cards off in full and on time. And if you're concerned about spending too much because you haven't used a credit card, well, if you paid off every single week and you don't have any money in your account, then guess what? You're not going to spend money the following week. And it's just like using a debit card. It's just, you'll just pay it off a week after you use it and you'll build, David, and you'll, and you'll build your credit profile. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and uh, get to have some fun and enjoy your family, and uh, we will probably talk again in the new year, my friend. Yeah, look forward to it. We're going to be launching a program for all your listeners to uh, buy homes and get discounts from Realtors. Um, uh, we'll, we'll we'll dive a little deeper in in January, and also when are we Realtors launching this? Out there, I'm, 
uh, now. Um, oh. I've been launching it for the past six months going to companies, but it's been a little slow on the uptake, so I'm just going to launch it to the public and then give it a cutoff period of like at the end of March. So if you're buying or selling a home and you want to work with the Team Hochberg, uh Realtor, I'll hook you up. I'll connect you with one of our Realtors who will give you up to a 1% discount on the sale price of your house, and up to a 1% discount on a closing cost credit. It's all legal. I've already checked it out. And in the closing cost credit, when you buy a new home, I have an attorney who will give you $500 off the title, up to $500 off the title. If, if you use my attorney, uh, my friend Dave Schluter is not my attorney. Actually, he is my attorney. I use him, but he doesn't work for me. He's got his own practice, and he'll give you a discount on a service if you use him to buy the home. And we will give you a discount on your origination fees and and your appraisal up to 500 bucks if we do the mortgage. So we just did a loan for a police officer in the Buffalo Grove Police Department, saved the young lady close to $9,000. So we try to wow. market it to corporations. Okay. Yeah, it's huge. Well, it's let's huge. get you back it's then uh, right after the new year, like Tomorrow. Tuesday, January 3rd. Check your schedule yeah, and I'm see in. when you're free, and we'll talk about this in detail. Done. Thank you for okay. the opportunity. Happy, healthy holiday to you, all of your listeners, and thanks for giving the opportunity to share this uh this, uh, these airwaves with you and, and educate your listeners during the past year. Well, we appreciate you, David. Um, and seriously, check your schedule for Tuesday, January 3rd, and, and tell me uh, if you're free. And we'll get this because it sounds like something to do a deep dive into. Okay, thanks, David. Uh, have a great, happy, healthy New Year, guys. Bye-bye. We are going to take a break and be back with um, politics right after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Tune into the Tom Hartman radio program, your home for news, opinion, and insight, right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. February 28th, we are going to be, if you live in the city of Chicago, that we, you will be voting on the candidates who want to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. But depending upon where you live, there will also be some aldermanic races you'll be voting on. In the 48th Ward, Harry Osterman announced that he is not seeking re-election, and there have been a number of people who have thrown their hats in the ring for that. One of the people who is in that race is somebody we have talked to before, uh, because she is an activist and she has been working for years now to try to make our state liberal and progressive and to counteract people like he who shall not be named Donald Voldemort Trump. Um, and it is always a pleasure to talk to Lenny Manah Hoppenworth. Lenny, how are you? I'm great, Joan. Thank you so much for having me on. I was trying to think of the last time we spoke. It, I feel like we've been in touch virtually, but in, in <laughs> yeah. June, like on the phone, it's been a while. But I know that we have been talking over the years about how people can get engaged at various levels of grassroots organizing. And and now I'm excited to talk to you about my run for 48th Ward Alderwoman. Well, talk to me about that leap from activist to candidate. What motivated you? Well, 
I would love to tell you a little bit about myself, if that's okay to start. Sure. I'm a, I'm a queer woman of color, and I love Chicago. I was born and bred here. I'm the daughter of Filipino immigrants, and they were both nurses. We lived our immigrant experience on the South Side at 95th and Yates. And I had an education that is Chicago, um, Chicago Public Schools, Buckingham Elementary, and Chicago Academy for the Arts, and UIC. And when I finished my physical therapy degree at UIC, my husband and I were looking for a place to plant our roots because we really wanted to stay in the city. And we landed in the 48th Ward in Andersonville. And that apartment, by the way, it's so amazing. We are still there today. And I, when I wanted to move past physical therapy and do something more in the neighborhood, I opened up a shop a block away and I was able to raise my kids here, walking them to the neighborhood public school peers. And later on, my kids took public transit to their high schools at Lane Tech and at Jones College Prep. And so I feel really grounded in this community um, that was uh, introduced to me as a uh, girl's town uh, way back when, you know, uh, with the women and children first as anchors here. But I was living my life. And as you know, the 2016 election was devastating. I remember sitting on the couch with my kids watching the election results and truly watching the TV turn from blue to red. And I said to myself at that time, I was never, ever going to feel this way again. So I became the director of operations for the Illinois Women's March. And after the march, I took that energy and put it into creating co-founding groups like Indivisible IL-9, Indivisible Illinois, and IL Vote. And we helped get out the vote, which helped elect progressive politicians. As you know, like Lauren Underwood, you know, we, we got a new governor in the last six years. We have new state senators. Um, we have Mike Simmons on the north side and Han Wynn, who was just elected. And so I'm excited to take what I know as a small business owner, as an activist, as a community organizer, as a mother, as a LSC parent representative, and take it to city council with me. I'm, I'm running because I believe that representation matters. And I believe that if everybody had what they needed, then we would all be safer. And I'm thinking particularly about right now, we cannot have amnesia about where we are. We are not so far away from uh, when COVID hit and we were in lockdown. Um, mental health is healthcare. And so healthcare and safety and housing, if we had what we needed, then we would all be safer. But we have a history in this country, as you know, Joan, of politicians who want to defund the things, the systems that make us more stable. And we knew that because it happened in 2017. That was their first thing on their agenda. Remember, they yeah. wanted to take away our health care. And so this is where it is. It continues on today. We have to expand the idea of what health means in communities. And it means that everybody needs to be on the same page and working together for a better future for all of us, no matter who you are, how you identify what gender you are, how much money you have in your pockets, where you live, what zip code. Those things should not dictate your life expectancy. We have to work together to make the city a great city to live for everybody. 
Um, the 48th Ward, let's see, that comprises Edgewater, Andersonville, and Uptown. Talk to us about the demographics, the makeup of the 48th Ward. Who are your voters? My voters in this ward, in the 48th Ward, are majority women. And we have a very diverse and dense ward. And we were remapped. So we went from 46 to 35 precincts. Uh, we have um, a majority white space, and then the rest is split between Asians and Blacks and Latino. Uh, we have a very large base of LGBTQ people plus people in this community, of which I'm a proud member of. And, and we have a very diverse housing stock as well. As you know, we have people living in tents in our parks and we have multi-million dollar homes. But what this means is being a very dense community that we're all in this together, which means we need to be all in this together. And that's one of the reasons why I'm running. I believe that we can do these things if we have opportunities to connect with the services that can provide us with access to housing provide us with access to mental health care. Uh, and we need to continue on um, working with the departments that do these things, like with the Department of Family Services um, and also with uh, our Chambers of Commerce who have platforms that can actually reach many people um, to attract more people into the neighborhood to visit us, to work here, to live here, to play here. Um, because that's what we want to be in Chicago as well, a welcoming place for everybody. You've gotten a couple of nice endorsements. Tell me about those. So Indivisible IL-9 and Indivisible Illinois, those those are my heart. Those are my political home for the last six years. Because I knew that working with uh, the Women's March, going from Illinois to D.C. and back with 10,000 people that I did not know. I knew that organizing at a statewide level was very powerful. And through working with Indivisible Illinois, we were able to reach so many different people who organically created groups in their own local neighborhoods. And you know, because you've had people like Sarah Bingaman on your calls from rural Illinois and from uh, Etta Worthington from the Truth Brigade. And so their endorsement means so much to me because we have been together every, practically every week for the last six years, thinking on what we can do collectively and in solidarity, even though we live in various parts of Illinois. We know that when we come together and we work together as one, that we are more powerful. And I know that at the very local level, Indivisible IL-9 wanted the same thing. And so, as you know, all politics are local. And so it was really important for me to know that Indivisible IL-9 was here, was with me, and the members, many members are in Edgewater and Andersonville. So it meant a lot to me to have that support of the groups that I helped co-found. Um, I'm talking to Lenny Manah Hoppenworth. She is running to be the alder person for the 48th Ward. One of the topics you heard her touch on a few minutes ago was the idea of housing, which I know is one of the big platforms of her campaign. We're going to take a real quick break, and when we come back, uh, Lenny, I'd like you to talk in detail 
about how you would address the housing crisis. I mean, it's not just a Chicago problem. I mean, Karen Bass in Los Angeles basically made it the main platform of her effort to become L.A.'s new mayor was solving the housing crisis. We're going to be back with more right after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT820. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I am joined by one of the candidates to be the alderman, uh, alder person, alder in the 40. 40- in the 48th Ward, um, Lenny Manah Hoppenworth is here, and one of the platforms of her campaign is to provide housing for those who are unhoused. Uh, Lenny, talk to us in a little more detail about how you bring that about. Yeah, you know, I think about housing affordability, but also that housing is a human right. And if we think about what it means to be housed and unhoused. um, Firstly, uh, a lot of people who are unhoused include people who couch surf, include our Mm -hmm. youth whose families are in unstable situations. So I guess I wanted to also, I wanted to also define like who we're talking about. And it means housing first for everybody is really important to me. Housing is a human right. And so one of the things I also think about is this neighborhood um, that I rent in and I don't want to be, be displaced out of this neighborhood because of rising rent. So I'll put that out there too. But in terms of housing, I was just talking to my sister-in-law who's in California. And if you can imagine their weather is so beautiful out there all the time. So it housing is a, is a big deal and they are, they are talking about it in ways that how, how can we, fix this too because it's very nice to live outside over there not in a tent though um the thing that we have to do is think of a comprehensive approach and so we do have to think about how are we funding the problem of houselessness in chicago and one of the things that advocates have been fighting for is a permanent solution for that funding so people are saying look into the budget but 40% of our budget goes to policing. And so there's that. So how can we find a new and creative way to help uh, with the the solution? And people are pointing to such as Maria Haddon and Matt Martin's advocacy to bring Chicago home, which is something that um, was proposed years ago and still has yet to be um, implemented, but to raise the real estate transfer tax on uh, on sales of $1 billion or more in Chicago and um, provide that for people who need services to find housing. You know, in Chicago, there are 65,000 people uh, homeless in Chicago and too many are uh, women, victims of domestic violence, children, um, people of color, three and four are people of color and our city is spending um, of the big cities like New York and Los Angeles, 
a fraction of what they are investing in. So we have to find ways to to actually instill a permanent solution for funding if we are going to take our issue of houselessness seriously. Um, I, there was one um, philanthropist who I was reading about recently that was talking about uh, taking city property or vacant lots and repossessing them and putting up tiny houses. Uh, I remember years ago when my kids were in high school, we did a, a trip to Cuba. And after I'd been there for a while, both in Havana and around the country, I, I said to our guide, um, you know, like, I don't see uh, homeless people. And our guide looked at me like I had just said, why don't you have two heads? And she was like, well, if somebody doesn't have a house, the government gives them a house. Like, duh. And uh, <laughs> I realized that sometimes on, in a smaller country, things are a little bit easier to achieve than a larger country. But duh. Yeah, it seems like common sense, right? It's a mm. it's a basic need to have shelter, to have a place where you can shower so you can get ready for a job, so that you can come home and sleep in a place that is safe and you don't feel like you're going to be harassed or mm-hmm. or uh, violated. Um some place that you can call your own with your own keys. It seems like a very common sense housing first approach. And you're right. I think that other places do a better job and we should adopt that. I feel that many of our departments in the city, they want that, um, but we need to work together to find the funding to make that happen so that we can actually provide homes for people. Now in, in 48th ward, we're very dense ward and tiny homes would be amazing. I'm not sure where it would work here, but we are just one tiny spot in Chicago. And when you think about where the city has invested and where we have not invested and where we have divested from, there are possibilities in the city where tiny homes could happen. We just need to have a plan and work together to make it a reality. And I believe that those that are on the north side, city council members that are on the north side, um, they want this to happen and, and others across the city. So we just need to work together to actually show up and have mm-hmm. the hearing to talk about these things to make these reality. Well, for people who want more information, you've got a great website, Lenny448th.com. But in the in the time we have left, what do you want to make sure that our listeners know about you and your campaign? I want them to know that I am the queer woman of color that is running for Alder in the 48th Ward, because I believe that representation matters. I want to take all that I know, the skill set that I have, and my life experience, and represent this ward, and to be a humble servant of this ward, but also to sit at the table at City Council, which is a legislative body, where 25% of council people are leaving next year. I want to sit at that table to create structural change. It can happen, but we need to do it in a way that is progressive and is forward-looking that makes the whole city better for all of us. And I've got to tell you, I have, as Letty said, she and I have been communicating via email and the newsletters 
for a very long time. And I think that you are just the kind of person who would be great in city council because you're knowledgeable, you know how to get people together, you organize, and you're a progressive Democrat. And I think that the more progressive Democrats we can get into the Chicago City Council, I think the better off the city of Chicago will be. I agree with you, Joan. And (laughs) as you know, people are thinking to themselves, do I still want to consider moving to Canada? And I say to them, no, you stay here. You stay right here. We are worth fighting for, and I will be right with you. So thank you, Joan. Thank Thank you. you All of your support for all the progressives in Chicago. We appreciate it so much. The website is L E N I F O R, the number four, the number eight, th dot com, Lenny for 48th.com. If you live in Edgewater or Andersonville or Uptown, um, this is a, this is a race that will most likely be one you have to vote on. So go to her website and learn more about her. Lenny, thank you so much. I really enjoy talking to you. I hope we can do it again before February 28th. I would love that. Thank you, Joan. Take care and have a great holiday. You too. Okay, that is going to do it for me today. Uh, Driving at Home with Patty Vasquez is up next. I probably will not be here for the next couple of days. I uh, today tested positive for COVID for the third time. And, um, yeah, so... I'm going to be taking it easy for a couple of days. Hopefully, we know either Monday or Tuesday, (laughs) I will be back. So until then, stay safe. Have a great night. Patty's going to take good care of you. I'll see you when I see you. Thanks. Thanks.